0: This episode is brought to you by Mad Cool Festival. Probably Madrid's biggest and best festival, Mad Cool is returning once again this summer and it's going to be one to remember. Not only will there be massive names like Dua Lipa, Janelle Monáe, Bring Me the Horizon and The Killers Playing because who doesn't love a bit of Mr Brightside after a day of pints in the sun? There'll also be tons of new buzzy acts like Nia Archives, Crawlers, Kneecap and Picture Parlour scattered across the bill too. Obviously, with it being in Madrid, there'll be plenty of ace Spanish artists to check out across the weekend. Plus, heading to a festival like this is the perfect chance to get a good dose of sunshine and culture, all while getting to watch some of your favourite bands and in a cheeky sangria or two. This year's Mad Cool Festival takes place from the 10th to the 13th of July in Madrid and tickets can be purchased now over at their website, madcoolfestival.es. Hello and welcome to the newest episode of Before They Knew Better, the podcast from DIY Magazine. I am, as always, Lisa Wright. This is my co host and producer, Giles Bidder. Hello. And bringing us into the second half of the first season is the wonderful MXM Toon. MXM Toon has just released Plum Blossom Revisited. It is a reworking of her debut EP, which she recorded when she was a mere teenager. Um, She has gone back giving those songs a little bit of a massage she's changed some lyrics she's given them a polish she's given them a revisit through the eyes of her 23 year old self which has put her in i would say probably exactly the right nostalgic mindset for a conversation such as this as ever on before they knew better we asked maya to bring in one song one photo and one object from her childhood and we're saying childhood with this one because because, you know, she's, she's still young. She's still young. But uh, we talked about her very young childhood and the early teenage days of the MXM Tune project. And she was a delight. She was fab go listen to Plum Blossom Revisited if you are lucky enough to have snapped up some of the tickets for her December Christmas run then you are a very lucky listener indeed Um, and otherwise go and listen back to some of the other episodes before they knew better we've already had Six Crackers last week we had Killer Mike, actual Killer Mike, before that we have had Sigrid, we've had Olivia Dean Mae Muller, Bastille Felix White, Legends One and All, Uh, go back and give them a listen we have got more episodes to come on this first run of before they knew better subscribe and then you can get them straight to your inbox as they land on a fresh hot tuesday morning um, this is episode seven of before they knew better with diy magazine and mxm toon Thank you for joining us on this B, it's actually, obviously, uh, Before They knew Better is a podcast about being young And even though your young years aren't really that much in the rearview mirror I feel like the fact that you've just released a rework EP That is sort of uh, revisiting stuff from that teenage time And giving it a bit of a sort of early to mid-twenties spruce up feels quite relevant to what we're doing now. I mean, are you on quite a nostalgia tip at the moment? I'm always on a nostalgia tip. I
1: think as a person, (laughs) I just continuously look in the past. It's it's so fun. I'm just always in my photo album looking at things and being like, oh, that was so nice. What a what a great time. And it was like one week (laughs) ago. So I I think I just as a person gravitate (laughs) towards that naturally. So I'm
0: excited to be here and chat with you guys. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Fuck living in the present. Yeah, exactly always so look back yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how was that As it like, because I mean I feel like um five years in the space of 18 to 23 and I'm guessing a lot of those songs were written before that as mm-hmm. well did it feel like looking back at a sort of whole different person yeah I mean I
1: think definitely I feel like mo- that period of your life specifically going from being like 17 years old to then being 23, there's Mm -hmm. so much change that happens specifically in that window of time, I think. And so, you know, my first thought when I was thinking about revisiting was like, okay, yeah, five years isn't that much in the grand scheme of things. But if I really think about it, that's a lot of time, at least in my lifetime so far that I've spent working on music and releasing songs and, you know, connecting with community. So, It took me a second where I was like, all right, maybe I shouldn't do that. And then I realized I was like, no, actually, I am a very different person. And I have a lot of different tools at my um, disposal now. And I definitely want to approach doing that. But, you know, I obviously I cringed a lot looking at the 16 year old (laughs) version of myself that I was looking back on because she was super cringy, but also like how cute that she was just making songs in her bedroom and thank god she did because now
0: i have a job so shout out to exactly her. Yeah. shout out yeah. to past you and i mean exactly. god like everyone's cringy like if 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 you say that yeah. you're not cringy at 16 then i feel like you were doing 16 <laughs> wrong
1: exactly <laughs> that's true i can live with no regrets which is a great feeling yeah, yeah.
0: excellent what was the moment when you're saying about cringe like was there anything that stands out that you were like oh god
1: I mean, besides some of the music that I was writing, my very first song ever being a song, like the first original song I ever released online was literally, and it's one of the songs on the revisited EP, um, but it was literally just me complaining about being single. But I'm like, you were 16. Like, of course, no one's going to date. You're 16. Like, you you don't need to have that life experience at that point. But I, I remember writing it and being like, yeah, this is so real when I was 16 years old. And then I listened back to it at 23 and I'm like, It wasn't that deep girl, like, it's okay, you can chill, go do your homework or whatever you need to do right now in your life. Um, But that was definitely one of those moments. Beyond that, I was a theater kid, if that is, that's pretty self-explanatory, I feel like. So all my hobbies and activities are, they were just, I was a nerd. I still am proudly so <laughs> yeah but
0: god bless the nerds i mean i love <laughs> even at 16 you're just like i really have got to lock a partner down like <laughs> there is a pathway that is set out and i am gotta i gotta crack on exactly. with, this, with this search can you remember like was that around time when you were i don't know was it just that all your mates around you were starting to sort of get those first Teenage, like serious boyfriends and girlfriends.
1: I think so. It definitely was that feeling of pressure that my peers were just like so much farther ahead of me. Um, but also, I think when you're in high school, you just feel like whatever happens in high school is the rest of your life. And like, mm. I remember watching friends get into relationships and they're like, you know, they say they're so in love and da 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 da. And, and I was like, dang, should I be feeling that? Should I be experiencing that right now? <laughs> And ultimately, no, I didn't need to be um but it felt like I did at that moment. It was definitely it felt like a lot of pressure to like catch up yeah in some it's
0: like that huge sort of um when everyone's like reaching milestones and everyone's talking about milestones, and you know you have like a sleepover or a thing like that (laughs) and everyone's talking about like I still to this day can't really work out what base is what like (laughs) I feel like that's something that seemed to change definition (laughs) depending on which group of people you're talking to (laughs) it's like yeah which bit is smiling nicely at each other is that first (laughs) base? um but (laughs) um yeah there's like a huge pressure I think when you're young and everyone is around you saying like oh you know people are doing those things first and you're just like god i've got to catch up with this thing otherwise like i must be an alien person like clearly i've got three heads because this because sally's held hands with her boyfriend and i haven't held hands with anyone yet i think it's a really like it's quite a overwhelming time of life
1: Totally. It's so much like, I mean, your world is also so small at that point. Your only frame of reference is just like this tiny community of people that are going to be in vastly different places of your life. I know the school that I Mm -hmm. went to was only 400 kids, and I had friends who would go to even smaller schools. And so their perception of like their community is so, so small. And so by nature, I think you're just like in this high pressure environment to try and be in the same place as every other person that you're seeing on a daily basis. It's so much pressure for teenagers. Yeah.
2: For sure. There's that thing that happens at school that if you're the, you're the nerd or, or you're, you're the theater kid or you're the Grebo or you're a goth or you're the punk, that, that kind of self-identity yes. is so mm-hmm. strong.
1: It's crazy. And then you break out of it and you become an adult and you realize it's, it all comes out in a wash. <laughs> Doesn't
2: matter. Did you have a high school book? Did you have like an end of high school? Oh uh, yeah, like a yearbook. Oh yes.
1: I still look back on them. I I love looking at your books. I think they're so much fun. What a crazy time capsule of like a really small <laughs> moment of your life.
2: Yeah. What was your entry? Oh, uh, my entry is. Anyone it- write something about you? Exactly. Not- you write something about yourself? Oh, yeah. Uh,
0: In American ones, don't they have the like, you know, most, most likely to. Do such and such. They, they do. I think at
1: my school, they reached a point where they were like, that's, that's adding a lot of added pressure on these students <laughs> to then achieve whatever it is that you are telling them they're gonna do. <laughs> um, ironically, we did end up doing it anyways, amongst all of the peers. Like people just did it a voting thing anyways with the with the students, um, and I was most likely to get famous. So that, hey. yeah,
2: here we go. I appreciate go. the
1: confident, the vote of confidence that everybody <laughs> gave me because without that, maybe it wouldn't have happened. Yeah,
2: <laughs> that's funny. Why would people have thought that about you? Were you putting yourself out there then, making creative? endeavors i
1: was um not really at school but i was already active online with mxm tune and posting music and there was a point where i got like put on a snapchat story and against my will my entire school found out about everything that i was doing online at that point and oh, so wow. i think for them that was their perception of me suddenly shifted from like oh she's that quiet people please student a plus student to oh she makes songs on a ukulele and posts them on YouTube. <laughs> She's going to be famous, guys. She's going to be famous. <laughs> so, I think it that was the transition point.
0: <laughs> was that like when you sort of got rumbled, was that uh, a good thing for your kind of school cred or was oh gosh, it like, it was oh my awful. god, my secret's out? <laughs>
1: So bad. I think it was, you know, in (laughs) retrospect, it probably wasn't as bad as I thought it was. But I felt like everybody was looking at me like you said when I like I had three heads. It was this weird, (laughs) like world shattering (laughs) moment where I was like, okay, my online personality that I portray is now just not solely delegated to that one area. It bleeds into like Mm. everything that I'm doing. And the school that I went to specifically, my parents used to work at it. So I knew a lot of the teachers and staff because they were my aunts and uncles growing up in some like weird way. And so not only like did my peers know about it, but these like adults in the community also knew. And so my parents then found out and it was like this, it felt like a bunch of dominoes just toppling over finally after trying so hard to keep them up standing upright, but I couldn't do it.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Because making music is inherently... Kind of rebellious, even if it is ukulele songs online.
1: It is. And it was the most rebellious thing that I had ever done. I was a very... Good kid, textbook, good kid. Didn't do anything except my homework, my extracurriculars, whatever it was. Um, And my parents were both teachers growing up. And so they preached this idea of internet safety. And every time they would talk to their school communities about what it means to be safe online, they'd be like, well, with my children, we check their internet presence and make sure they're not (laughs) having a large digital footprint um follow our lead and then they found out that i had like actually the largest (laughs) digital footprint any student has ever had period the end um and they were just they couldn't believe it yeah
0: oh god i mean (laughs) yeah i would say in in terms of rebellion it's a very very modern form of rebellion It is. (laughs) like hey guys i've actually got like loads of social media accounts so psych Uh, (laughs) Oh i mean like even so with that though like Were you doing it, was it like very much a kind of, okay, I'm doing this in secret. Like I've got this little, you know, the outside world is a bit scary. Whereas like, did it feel like a sort of safe space for you? Definitely. I think,
1: you know, I I felt, sometimes I think a little stifled by the expectations that I felt like other people were placing upon me to like do a really good job at XYZ. And so the internet was this place where all of that could be stripped away and I could be whoever I wanted to be. And that was a musician and a gamer. And, you know, I could, you know, connect with other people based off of those interests rather than feeling like I don't even want to share that side of myself with my school community or my Mm -hmm. family. Um, So I think that's the case for a lot of people and why a lot of people gravitate towards the internet in the first place is just because, all of everything that you know in your immediate life doesn't exist in the same way the moment you step online into like social media spaces or whatever you can just be whoever you want to be and that was really appealing to me especially growing up and and wanting a a greater sense of community i think in peers mm mm-hmm. I started gaming from a very young age. That is one thing my parents let me do. I gamed like crazy, starting from the ages of six. I was on Battlefield, talking with fully grown adults over comms, and at the <laughs> prime age of six years old. Um, but the internet—I think it was the the restrictions that were placed upon me growing up of not having that digital footprint. Instead kids are not going to listen to that. Kids are going to listen to you say that they can't do something and find a sneakier way to do that plus a Mm. million other things. And so I took it upon (laughs) myself to be like, well, I'm allowed to have Instagram, but I'm not allowed to have Snapchat. So I'm going to have Snapchat and I'm going to have Vine and I'm going to have YouTube and I'm going to have Facebook and I'm going to have all these other places to, to post. And I think you know, it was just this It was like an exhilarating feeling to be like, I'm posting online. (laughs) I'm not supposed to be doing this. But it was so much fun.
0: (laughs) And Snapchat, the ideal medium to have a secret thing in because unless they are very, very quick at following you, then that shit disappears. Really? What is it? After a day? After an hour? I can't even remember what it is. I think it's like even minutes. I don't remember how it works anymore. I've, I've,
1: I've matured past Snapchat at this point in my life. Okay. (laughs)
0: have you deleted all of have you deleted loads of your accounts now or is there still lots of evidence of like childhood maya and the things that she would post
1: there's less evidence thank god i think there's a moment now actually (laughs) though i kind of wish that there was more but i think i became more sentient when i was like 19 years old i looked back on a lot of the things that i was making and i was like oh this is so cringy and then i freaked out and deleted a bunch of it so I got rid of a bunch of things. Um, But now I'm kind of like, oh, I wish that I could watch that because that's the funniest stuff is just like watching your younger self make stupid stuff online. Um, Nothing tops that. I love seeing those things. (laughs)
0: We have asked you to bring in a photo, an object and a song choice from various different parts of these times that we've been talking mm-hmm. about. Um, and I feel like, I mean, and I can't say for sure which chronological order it's coming in, but having looked at these things, I am going to say the little, I don't even know how to describe, how would you describe your object my object is like a I have it with me right here actually.
1: Um it's a stuffed animal of uh one of my favorite characters Totoro from the Studio Ghibli Ghibli I movie. Would say um right. and he can come out of this like little wooden stump and he holds a little leaf over his head and he's very cute. Um but this is actually <laughs> the most recent out of the things that I sent over to you guys um, oh, surprisingly. God. But <laughs> no, I, I mean, how would you know? How would you know? I
0: can go backwards. <laughs> <laughs> we you do that. No, this is great. We'll go reverse. We'll go reverse chronology. Um, when did he appear in your life? Is Totoro- he appeared in my life in huh?
1: Totoro. I think uses he, him pronouns. Not sure okay. though. No, no okay. idea. Um, sure. I think that that's kosher though. So, um, okay. he, I got him in 2018 and it was a gift from my aunt after I played my very first live show ever. Um, And it was probably the worst show I've ever played. But hey, everyone's first show is (laughs) probably the worst show they've ever played. Um, But she, I played it in Los Angeles and it was a opening set for one of my friends. And my whole family came because it was the first time that they knew that I did music and they were all... My mom literally ran merch for me that night. It was really sweet. Um, But my aunt brought me this little tiny Totoro as like a gift um, and a congratulations for playing my very first show. and I've kept him ever since. Um, and so much so that he's been in so many things that other people have brought me todro memorabilia as the as I've played more shows throughout my life, which is very exciting to me as a huge fan. <laughs>
2: yeah <laughs> What's Tocho's background? What's Tocho's origin story?
1: Um, he's kind of it's unclear. If you've watched the movie, it's kind of like he's this big, fluffy rabbit guy who can sprout trees. And if I keep explaining, I will sound like a crazy woman. Um, But if you have not watched Um My Neighbor Totoro, you should definitely go and check it out. It's like one of my all-time favorite comfort movies, and I watch it when I'm on tour all the time. Yeah.
0: Nice. Are you a big... um it's ghibli right everyone says ghibli but it's meant to be pronounced ghibli i think it's ghibli i grew up
1: saying ghibli though so i'm i'm readjusting but okay studio ghibli studio ghibli yes
0: are you a big fan of that style in general
1: i'm a huge fan that was kind of like i did not grow up watching disney movies and so for me this was my equivalent of like animated movie content that i love to watch and so totoro is a big one i'm even getting a uh one of another studio Ghibli tattoo next week, so uh, I'm dedicated to the craft. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> <You> <laughs> how many you got already? <laughs> yeah, um, oh my gosh, I have one right now, but I'm going to get two on Monday. So slowly adding to the collection. <laughs> yeah,
2: okay, two and in different, in different in together or different parts. Different parts. They're from
1: different movies, um, but. Yeah. I think maybe I could put them right next to each other. And so they can be friends on my body forever. Yeah.
2: <laughs> when you get tattoos, when I go and get a tattoo, I don't really know exactly where I'm going to get it. I know roughly, you know, I'm, I've got a lot of my right leg right now nice. and I'm just kind of, I'm excited now about having a bit of a leg sleeve, yeah. if you can call it that. Ooh, What's your, trouser. A trouser, a trouser It leg. cuts
1: off like right above the knee on both legs too. So it does look like pants. I feel like that would be a really cool look. Mm, yeah. Yeah, 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 <laughs>
0: tattoo shorts. Everyone talks about sleeves, but nobody talks about tattoo shorts. <laughs> tattoo yeah, like, shorts. Why, why isn't that a thing? I don't know. Maybe
1: we should start it. We'll, we'll work on start it. Start tattoo. Make yeah. tat-
0: hashtag. <laughs> Tattoo, tattoo shorts, shorts forever. Yeah, oh great. Gosh. Um, <laughs> how many tattoo? I mean, you're quite, I can see now you've got one arm that's I pretty. Have, I have both, quite a yeah. few. Um, I am also working on a leg sleeve,
1: actually. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, no, I, I have quite a lot, but they're mostly flowers at this point. And I'm trying to up my nerdy tattoo game currently. So adding <laughs> to the collection of small, cute characters that I can look at on my body and be like, I like you. That's so fun.
0: <laughs> Oh, you'll be yeah. with me until i die so you know love <laughs> <yeah. laughs> that um how so that was the first first show ever which mm-hmm. was when you were seven does that make you 17 and that i was i think i was 17 yeah mm-hmm. okay how yeah. described me the day Ooh. the the nerves the feelings How did it all go down?
1: I've never been more nervous in my entire life. It felt like it was such a high stakes environment because uh, I, again, had never played a show before. And so it felt silly to be like, I'm playing a show and then try and go into this physical space after I've only done things online the entire time I've been making music Mm. and just kind of cross my fingers and hope that people were going to actually show up to this thing. And um Mm. I was so lucky because people did, and but and I was so lucky that people stayed because I was really I did not know my lyrics as I was sitting on stage trying to sing them to people, um, but it was only like thirty minutes of singing, and um, I remember my grandparents were there. It was just this big moment where it felt like everything in my life that had been so separate for so long. When I started posting on social media and then you know had its different school community and my family didn't know about it, and then all of a sudden everybody did. It felt like this culminating moment where all of those pieces and places got to intersect with each other for the very first time. And I could kind of figure out what my life was going to look like with this mm-hmm. additional piece of making music and mm-hmm. performing. Um, but yeah, no, I was so nervous. I, I think I, f- I just felt like barfing the entire day, um, <laughs> but I made it through and I've played more shows yes. since then. Yeah.
0: <laughs> if you already had sort of an online fan base community like however you kind of want to describe it does that mean that even on those first shows there was like oh okay i've got people that know like you know that have been waiting for this and there's a bit more kind of because that's you know i guess most people who start without having that online thing you know you can pretty much get away to playing to like two people and their dog for a really long time on a toilet circuit before anyone has any clue of who you are Mm -hmm. but maybe this is a different way to sort of Hard launch yourself into the live arena. <laughs> it definitely was different. I think, you know,
1: I knew that I had an audience online, whether it was from like SoundCloud or YouTube, but the room we played, I think it was like 150 cap or something. And so I was just not convinced that anyone was going to show up in the first place. Mm. And so I brought a bunch of my family um, as a buffer to make sure that there'd be <laughs> bodies in the room when I was on stage <laughs> singing um and we got the news for that show specifically like about i think the day before the show was supposed to happen all the tickets sold out and i remember thinking like oh my gosh okay that means that i will be playing to a number of people somehow that's worse than feeling like going i'm going to a room (laughs) with just my family and i get to just sing songs um but it was really cool to all of a sudden have this proof that You know, I think when you're looking at numbers on a screen, it's really easy to detach yourself from the fact that those are real people and like people that will show up to these sorts of things to support you and to respond to comments. And I think that was one of the first times where it really clicked with me, where I was like, wow, um, this is actually happening. You exist. Yeah, I exist. (laughs) I'm perceived.
2: Yes. Did you you always want to play live? Because you could, in theory have an existing career job sustainable playing music model without going on tour.
1: Totally. I think there were moments where I, I definitely on the day of the show I was like I'm never going to do this again. I'm just this is the worst feeling in the world. The anticipation was so awful. Um but then I think being on stage, and I feel so lucky I still have clips from that show of listening to these this new group of people, the first time I'd ever heard anybody sing a song that I had written back to me, it was the most beautiful thing I think I'd ever experienced. And so just I think as a, someone who found the internet originally as this place where I viewed it as this like black hole where I could sink any thought and piece of art that I was creating and throw it into a void and no one would shout back to me. Um, to have that reminder that, no, people did find the things that I was posting online and people did care about the things that I was posting online. Um, So much so they showed up to this room and they listened to the things that I was creating and learned it and sang it back to me. Um, I think in that moment, I realized like, because before then I'd barely gone to any concerts. I didn't really know that much about the live space. I think it cemented in me having that experience that I wanted to get better at it and wanted to keep showing up and doing my best um, to have more moments like that. But uh, yeah, it was really cool.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, that's nice. quite wild, having like people sing back to you on your first ever show.
1: It was crazy. I was fully expecting <laughs> them to stand there and roll their eyes while they stood on their phones. <laughs> um, so I'm really grateful, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, even the phone thing, that's quite uh, uh, if you're constant, if you're an online person, yeah. then maybe it's like, oh, okay. Like maybe they're just going to be just like doing that while I'm singing. Well. Yeah. I um, don't know. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's, yeah. I mean, like what an encouraging thing to have immediately sort of been birthed into. You're saying like if you hadn't been to many shows yourself, like, how did you sort of approach like how you were going to be on stage was there an idea of like i'm going to do some stage chat i'm going to rehearse the things i want to be this sort of performer had you I thought about it before
1: had not thought about it the only previous experience that i had was doing like talent shows or i was a part of an a cappella group in high school and that was kind of the closest thing but In large part, had only been doing like ensemble things. So, a lot of my performance Mm. that I was familiar with was having also other people on stage. And um, I think that slightly did inform the way that I was in my live show because I think by nature of not having someone else on stage with me, I have continued to utilize crowds and audiences as the like second party of the piece of the show. Like, I think all of my audiences still are as much involved in my live set as I am um, because I rely on their remarks and their like quips to bounce back and forth on. And um, I think for me, the, the banter was definitely really, I was like, I kept hearing about how, you know, you need stage banter, but I didn't know what that <laughs> meant because I'd never really <laughs> seen a show before. Uh, and I just remember like, Really freaking out about that. I think that I even had a bit on stage where I was like, "What am I even supposed to say up here?" And then, like, I would just have conversations back and forth with someone standing in the audience. Great, um, that's yeah. so pure. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I was like, then and I a think couple that, of knock knock yeah. jokes. Exactly.
0: <laughs> just yeah.
1: Google some like <laughs> jokes on my phone while I'm up there. Actually, I might yeah. do that. I might do that next show. Who
2: knows? I would prefer to see someone on stage doing that than doing some kind of semi-pre-scripted. Oh, I think I should do this type of behavior. I
1: a hundred percent agree with you, and I think that's turned into my favorite thing that I do at shows. I love singing, but I'm going to be honest. I kind of treat my sets as like a bit of a stand-up
0: comedian (laughs) act, a little bit. (laughs) Love it. Hell yeah! Is this uh, (laughs) proceeding a pivot? Would you ever do (laughs) (laughs) stand-up? I don't know.
1: Um. I love making people laugh. I think that's just true to anything that I do. Uh, I don't know if I'd ever do stand-up. That sounds a little too vulnerable. I do love having Terrifying. the fact that I can have a script of just singing a song in between things to kind of mm. let my brain take a break. But uh, I don't know. Maybe if I wrote a type five.
2: Playing music and comedy you know Chaz and dave yes they existed <laughs> they exist there is some comedy yeah. music crossover there that very very hey, much i'm just saying <laughs> it's, it's untapped it's true it's a, choice. No, it's, it's a choice it's like the
1: venn diagram for making songs and like being funny it's so close to being just a singular circle but yet there's like a little mm. bit of separation
0: <laughs> yeah. i don't know maybe i'll get yeah, yeah, into yeah. it more
1: later yeah <laughs> yeah i
0: would i would love it if though i mean also if on your next record you were like actually my main influence is Jazz and dave <laughs> that would be a real curveball <laughs> for
2: people huge pivot yeah today is gonna be the day that they're gonna throw it back to you by now you should have somehow realized
0: what you gotta do The song that you have brought in for us is the most classic of all classics, Oasis. Mm -hmm. Wonderwall, the big one. I mean, like, I feel like Wonderwall now has got such a reputation of being the song that people sing, um, like the guy at the party that everyone's like, oh God, like he's got the yeah, anyway, here's Wonderwall. Um, Mm -hmm. But... (laughs) I mean, great. <laughs> like the reason that it got to that stage is because it's a classic. Tell us about your relationship with that song.
1: So I do find it hilarious because the first two songs that I ever learned on instruments or singing are now two of the biggest memes, potentially Wonderwall <laughs> being one of them. That was the very first song I ever learned on guitar. And the very first song I ever learned on ukulele was of course, Riptide by Vance Joy. Um, And, but Oasis is Wonderwall was important to me because that was kind of my introduction to singing for the very first time. My dad taught me how to play guitar when I was around like 10 years old. And the first song he played with me was Wonderwall. And so I learned how to sing it at home. And I had grown up playing cello. And so I switched schools when I was 10 years old and they had a rock band for the very first time. And I heard that they were playing Wonderwall in the rock band and I needed to make friends. And so I thought that I would audition. And so, but I didn't audition for singing. I auditioned to, to play cello for the rock band specifically for Wonderwall. Yes. Um, and <laughs> of course, the director was like, yeah. So we don't actually need that, Um, but we do need a <laughs> vocalist. Do you know how to sing the song? And I was like, well, yeah, I've been singing it at home with my dad. And so that was the first song that I ever sang with my dad in a band um, in front of people <laughs> on a stage. So yeah, just the beginning of my entire singing journey. Thank you, Oasis. Yeah.
2: are you describing the plot of school of rock
1: (laughs) you know it's actually uh, it's autobiographical school of rock that's pretty much it's just about my life i'm jack black actually yeah
0: (laughs) great movie (laughs) great movie love love that film (laughs) um what a wasted opportunity not to have a cello version of wonderwall though that's what i'm saying
1: i even i think at one point i i I mean it's on The actual version Of the song I'm fairly certain Because I remember yeah, It's got strings right Yeah it dun, has strings dun, dun, dun. And so I remember Listening mm. and being like Surely they can use this Surely I as a 10 year old Can offer my services <laughs> As a cellist To play Wonderwall um, And I think I even Offered to sing And play cello At one point um, But now I've forgotten A lot of my cello knowledge So you know what It's, it's okay oh, Singing clearly worked that out That was Maybe a beautiful
0: yeah. Era um, <laughs> I didn't think That Oasis Had really Sort of like they they're one of the famous british bands that are huge over here and i didn't Mm -hmm. think had really sort of connected that well in america so that surprises me perhaps that that was the song that you were learning your craft yeah were they just like a big band in your house they were a big band in my house i I actually realized growing up that I mostly
1: listen to English artists weirdly enough. Like I recently made this like long playlist of a lot of the songs that I listened to in the kitchen or in the house growing up. And a lot of it is just English people. Um, and even in the rock band that I was a part of it mostly, we mostly sang like British rock songs. Um, and so mm-hmm. I think that was kind of my introduction to music largely too. So a lot of my like early formulation of my taste it was it was Brits yeah mm-hmm. rock and roll
0: yeah rock and, rock and roll star uh <laughs> um, what else <laughs> was on the playlist that you made is that like a oh playlist goodness. that people can listen to it, or is it this just is, for you
1: um I think it's I think maybe I could share it uh it's called white British people bangers and it's <laughs> just <laughs> it's like it's of course tears for fears uh blondies right. on it uh the Cure. It's a lot of like just very popular songs, at least to me. Yeah,
2: <laughs> that's really funny. Seven likes, forty-four songs. This is a peek behind the curtain. Here. Yeah, this is awesome. Duran uh, Duran, so talk talk. Yeah, oh Duran Duran, man, oh yeah. great. Yeah, so great. Banana Rama. Mm-hmm. Yes. Very. I mean,
0: cool. that's all. Yeah, More. that's all. Sort of like a lot of eighties stuff. A lot of stuff from sort of before mm-hmm. you were born, was that kind of, mm-hmm. um, coming from your parents or was that digging back kind of through like Spotify playlists or how did you kind of get into it? It was definitely from
1: my parents. Yeah, I think my dad actually did such a good job with like helping me broaden my perspective of what music could sound like. I listened to a lot of genres growing up. My grandparents were really into classical and jazz, and so from them, I got kind of an introduction to that genre and or those genres. And my dad would listen to a lot of R and B and rap and soul and rock music from my my other grandpa who was really into playing the guitar. So I think just from all of that, I just kind of soaked up everything and. But I, I didn't really listen to the radio a lot growing up and so a lot of my like introduction was just the CDs that my family had lying around the house and um, a lot mm-hmm. of it was music from the 80s and the 70s. Mm-hmm. Nice. Was
2: there a moment that you started digging for yourself, that you had that impetus to go to record shops or go online? And actually, Kay, what, what's the stuff that I don't know yet from my family?
1: Definitely. I think when I started joining that rock band and we, I had suddenly this opportunity to choose the songs alongside my bandmates of what we wanted to sing, I realized that I had really no understanding or taste of my own to, to decide that in the first place. And as one does when they're 13, I joined Tumblr. And from there, yes. I was launched into the, like, alternative music world where I loved, like, Arctic Monkeys um, and the Black yeah. Keys. And so, a lot of that music was what
0: I loved growing up, especially in, like, my high school years
1: um, and listened to that all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm going to guess if that – because there was, like, that sort of time when the Black Keys were massive and that was what, like – went out to monkeys probably just done like am or something like, or maybe yes, even just before. they had just that. done
1: am i think am mm. was like my favorite album at the time and um uh yeah I, I i the black keys was my very first concert those two bands i
0: think are specifically hey. like very instrumental yeah, cool to me. Mm-hmm. That's a good yeah. first gig though, isn't it? Like
2: that's like a credible right? first gig.
1: Thank you. Aside from... Uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> would you ever do anything with, with Dan, uh, Dan Auerbach? Is that how you pronounce his name? I don't would know. You yeah. with him?
1: Maybe. I mean, I don't know. I think I'm usually down to work with anybody, especially people who I think make different types of music than what I'm familiar with making now. It's great to learn. I would love to, yeah.
0: Mm. When you're talking about this rock band that you were in, was it like a proper sort of, you know, you really went for it for a while you played live whether that was like at school or you Mm -hmm. know in sort of clubs or whatever like how 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 serious was this band
1: it was, you know, it was a school band and we were twelve, so we couldn't play at clubs because we were twelve. Um but 12, everything yeah. <laughs> outside of that, we definitely did do live performances. So we would do like school performances and um and we had one night every year, I think, where they would get a venue and all the different school rock bands would play a set, which was really exciting to us. And um yeah, it was, and it that's was the point when the most Black fun payment. ever. Exactly. You yes, you yeah. know you know the story. It goes from yeah, there Yeah. On yeah, that. yeah but yeah, yeah. um, yeah. Yeah, no, it was it was a lot of fun and that was like the first time I'd ever played shows, I think was that point. Um, what was the
0: band called?
1: Lunchtime Rock Band A <laughs> Catchy.
2: It's catchy. Yeah, really
1: catchy, really, really catchy.
2: Must <laughs> be so great to play with people. I mean, when you're playing in a room with other people and it becomes and it works and it makes sense and it sounds good. What an elevating feeling.
1: It's the best feeling in the world. And until like two years ago when I started touring with a band for my shows, I hadn't had that experience with MXM Tune. And so now I just, I love it. It's so much fun. I love doing acoustic shows and it's so much fun to be able to bounce back and forth with an audience when you're like solo up on stage, but playing with a the band, there's no other feeling. It's like you're breathing together. It's crazy. It's just so much fun to, to be
0: in such a rhythm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you recruit any of the members of Lunchtime Rock Band A
1: <laughs> for your Ooh, current band? Question. I did not. I think they've all moved on to
0: other things oh. that don't involve music. <laughs> that is. Get the band back together, I say. We're getting the band uh, <laughs> back together. <laughs> <laughs> um, what were you, so, when you were doing that, that was like, uh, was that the point when you started picking up a guitar rather than um, like cello and sort of classical instruments?
1: I basically did guitar when I was 11 years old. And then my school curriculum, we were required to take music. And so they switched to a ukulele because the guitar proved to be too difficult for uh, preteens to wrap their minds around six, six strings, I guess is just too much. So they moved too, to four. Um, yeah. And from there, I think that I kind of, I transitioned from playing and learning guitar to then learning ukulele. And um, not until recently did I get a guitar actually and try and start learning again. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it was kind of, I wasn't playing either of those instruments for the rock band. I was just singing. And so there's all these videos of me growing up, um, where I also just, just so stiff on stage singing these songs, zero <laughs> movement whatsoever. No swaying <laughs> had the craziest side part too. my hair is just like raked over to one side <laughs> and you can barely see half my face. Um, <laughs> but that was the vibe. It was not ukulele. Oh my God. Yeah. That there's literally,
0: there's a generation of kids who are really really poor sighted in one eye i think and they have like (laughs) alternative music
2: (laughs) to thank for (laughs) that hey stop talking about me
0: (laughs) 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 <laughs> the scourge of opticians around oh, the land so was that period of mid-naughty indie. um <laughs> that's i mean but like ukulele obviously has served you very very well so i feel like like at yeah. the time were you kind of were you immediately into it as an instrument like was it something that you were just like oh okay this this feels right to play
1: I loved it. It was definitely so different than anything I had done previously, because I had been trained classically on cello. So many rules, so many rules and regulations to follow when you're playing a a stringed instrument, specifically like cello. And I'd taken violin previously, too. And so that was my only kind of understanding of playing and learning music was under those Mm. strict guidelines of how to play songs. And the ukulele was so different because you could literally just go on YouTube and learn one of your favorite songs in 10 minutes and be able to play it after that point. Uh, and it felt so liberating and fun for like the first time in a very long time. So I loved it. I really gravitated towards it. And I think it, it became this great thing too, where I could teach other people how to play the songs that I was writing. And it was very easily translatable to other people
0: who wanted to learn how to play music. Mm-hmm. In that sort of early Mumford and Son sort of time, I feel like there was quite a lot. There was some ukuleles going on around there, and that was like a thing that kind of I hadn't heard in alternative music for a while, and it felt like that kind of was the beginning of the, the I u- think renaissance.
1: It must have been 21 Pilots, because I think that they kick-started Maybe. a large group of ukulele-playing teenagers. Noah in the Whale? <laughs> I love Noah and the a- Whale, actually, too. So, okay, yes, there is a couple of people. Yeah, there is a couple.
0: Yeah. People. The Holy yeah. Trifecta, you, Noah, 21 Pilots. <laughs> make that make that collab happen. I, 2024 tour. I feel like that's yeah.
1: definitely the first time those three artist names have been mentioned <laughs> in the same sentence. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, you know, things have got to start somewhere. Do you ever think, like, who was the first person that thought if I combine these ingredients and put them in the oven, that's going to make a cake. Somebody's got to be the boundary pusher, you know? And that's you, Lisa. This is inventive. Yeah. Thank thank you. Thank (laughs) you. Make that collab happen. So the final thing that you have brought in for us is a very cute photo of you. in your. I mean, how old are you saying that you are in this photo? I think
1: I was around nine years old or something. Um, okay. Yeah. Cute.
0: Mm-hmm. And you are with a gentleman who, uh wait a minute, I'm going to get this photo up because is it Bill Nye? Okay. Well, I mean, it's not
2: actually Bill <laughs> Nye, <Nighy>, but like, <laughs> <It's Bill Nighy. laughs>
1: it is Bill Nye. No, it, it is. is Bill Nye. There's a
2: couple of Bill Nye. <laughs> it's not Bill Nye, the actor. It's Bill Nye, the science guy. Yeah, that's oh. Bill Nye.
0: Right. Okay. Because I was like, that's not Bill. Like, not is there's that no way. The yeah, character yeah, yeah.
2: that he played, right? Mm. Can you please, Maya, <laughs> just tell us like the weeks leading up to this, <laughs> the years leading up to yeah. this moment, what happened?
1: All right, so. Yes, it's a photo of me when I was nine with Bill Nye the Science Guy, Um, and it was for—I don't remember exactly how I got involved with it. I think it was probably like a friend of the family or something. And there was a science museum in the in the city I grew up in that was running an an exhibit called Climate about climate science, and they had hired Bill Nye to be a part of it because he's Bill Nye the Science Guy, and they needed children to pose in a photo with him to be like the greeting image when you walk into the exhibit of like (laughs) a cheery group of small children being like we love learning we love bill nye and so they needed a small child and i qualified and so my parents got the call from like a family friend they were like hey can you show up to this set um bill nye's here and we need like kids to fill in this photo shoot um and so we showed up to the set but and he's just there. Bill Nye, the science guy, is just there. And wow. um, my brother was also in like a short for like a short educational bit with him as well. And so um, we Big. met Bill Nye, but I don't know why. My, my immediate urge was to like make a face standing next to him. I, I think that, <laughs> that that for some reason I just felt compelled. Um, but I met Bill Nye and it was, it's a crazy, crazy thing. I'm so glad I have
0: that photo. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to show you my ignorance here. Tell mm-hmm. me about like, I feel like I do know who he is, but also <laughs> That's okay. Evidently there is a gap, a nye-shaped gap in my knowledge. Who, who, what,
1: where? So Bill Nye, I mean, I guess it's like probably more of an American thing to like grow up watching right. his content and his explanations. But pretty much if you grew up in America and you needed a science topic explained to you, you would watch a video of Bill Nye explaining the topic um sat in your classroom and he'd be on the TV or something. Like Brian Cox
0: or someone. Yes,
1: yes. So um Bill Nye is is our Brian Cox. Yeah. Nice. Okay.
0: (laughs) Was he a lovely gent like can you remember?
1: He was so nice. I think he has to be because if you're around children all the time, (laughs) like you can't make a career out of being just mean to them constantly. So
0: he was I mean, so nice. There was plenty of bad.
1: <laughs> That's true. That is true. Okay. Yes. Um, thank God, yeah. Bill Nye was was sweet. So um, he's he was okay. very nice. He was a
2: very nice man. So This picture is that we're looking at here. It's this is clearly BTS. Yes. Right? This is like,
0: <laughs> yes.
2: yes. Was there was there a legit. Did the photo happen with you that was then printed out and put in the entry? It
1: was. And I, to this day, can't find it. I had hoped that they would put it online somewhere, but I can't find it. And I think it's hilarious because the actual thing that they ended up printing out, they said it was going to be like this big poster that's greeting you. And then you walk into the exhibit and it's about Three inches by two inches, like, it, or, you know, it just is tiny. And I walked in, and I was like, all that for this. I remember being 10 years old at that point and being so unimpressed by the display the that I had worked so hard. On. Really? Yeah. I was like, this is my first job and this is how I get rewarded for it? Okay, sure, sure.
2: If this is what showbiz is about, then I'm out.
1: Yeah,
0: exactly.
2: <laughs> Can I take this full circle? Yes. When I moved into the flat that I'm living in now, six years ago, the first sort of thing I bought off Amazon to sort of grace the walls of it was what I thought a large A0, A2, seriously big Love Actually poster featuring Bill Nye. (laughs) Yes. And it came... And it was fucking A4. And I <laughs> um, paid like £12 for it. That's not oh even a poster. Gosh. That's just so like... So a similar small Bill Nye poster was... What's up with that, it? Bill
0: Nye? He's got something explaining to do, <laughs> I would say. Wait a minute. So it's, in, so it's still in a science museum in your hometown i don't know actually i'm not sure if it is or not i'm sure they've changed the
1: exhibit out but um no it was a really big deal i remember like all of the local news was about how bill nye was involved in an exhibit at the local science museum um so maybe they haven't maybe i am immortalized in my nine-year-old self somewhere (laughs) in a small
0: photo at that museum but um
2: in oakland california in oakland
0: california (laughs) <laughs> Love it. um were you like the kid if you were kind of a theater school kid does that mean that like whenever there were things like this you would be the one that kind of got wheeled out to be like my Maya's up for it like she's you know she's okay in front of a camera it uh, was that uh your <laughs> role in the class
1: i think at that point in my life i'm gonna be honest i think i did have an ego where i was like yeah i'm good at being in front of a video camera like i am I could be a child actor if i wanted i'm glad that that did not end up happening <laughs> i do remember there being a moment where my brother got chosen for that short video thing that i mentioned and i remember thinking like who does he think he is like i'm the one that i'm the one that's supposed to be good on video like what's my brother (laughs) i was like he has enough going on in his life this is my thing can't you let me have this one thing um and i remember being very distraught over it but in retrospect (laughs) it made no sense if i would have been involved in that um but yeah i think i i enjoyed that aspect of course i think i remember i have selfies that i take on my mom's like iphone growing up where i'd be like vlogging to and be like hey guys to my zero subscribers and so i think i naturally gravitated towards doing that type of thing um but i don't know I, it became a different thing when it it was became real and there were people watching <laughs> yeah
0: that's uh-huh. such a different way of growing up isn't it like to sort of i think you know the main thing that everyone always says about like since everyone has like camera phones is that now people grow up just being so much more comfortable with like a just looking at themselves all the time Mm -hmm. and like being presented with photos like if I look back at photos when I was a kid like I like someone would point like a camera at me and I would just freeze completely because it's like what are you what are you doing like you're just not used to sort of being presented with your own face all the time whereas I think like now kids are just you know you put a camera in front of a kid and they just automatically sort of do like a perfect like little peace (laughs) sign pose or something like that. It's really like, I guess that sort of prepped you quite well for now having to do like press shoots and videos and things like that. Was that like something where when you first had to start kind of doing the pop star thing, then it kind of came quite naturally?
1: It, it, Did and it didn't. I think it's still weird when I got so used to doing it by myself, I think. So it was like a different adjustment where filming a video or a vlog inside of my bedroom was the easiest thing in the world and then editing it and whatever, because I'm the only one that's perceiving me physically in that moment. Um, But it took me a long time to get adjusted to doing other things for work, whether that was like a press shoot or whatever, um, and like posing That's so mortifying to pose in front of like a team of people behind a camera. Um, But I I have gotten used to it over the years. But it's still there's moments where I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is just I can't. This is mortifying. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Have you got like a go to move now, like a sort of bend and snap type uh, signature? Uh, Yes.
1: Actually, and I think it's catching up to me because there are like so many photos of me in this like pose where I'll put my arm over my head, and every time without nice. fail, like a photographer will be like, "Wow, you're really good at this," and I'm like, "Thanks, I know." <laughs> and then, and then I look at the photo and I'm like, "It's the same freaking photo that I've been taking for years and years at this point." <laughs> yeah. It's the armpit sniff
0: the trademark. Yes, it, yeah. <laughs> Seventeen armpit sniff. Get a whiff. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna catch on. <laughs> yeah just get get a whiff of these tunes i mean that's like was he your first sort of celebrity meeting i think so i it's
1: a tough call so the band that i mentioned actually had billy joe armstrong's son in it um and so billy joe armstrong would show up to our gigs uh and I th- Thank God I had really zero conception really truly of his impact, I think, on a larger scale because I would have peed my pants probably at that point. Um, but no, he'd just be standing there. He's watched me sing. Not when I'm MXM tuned, but he's watched me sing when I was That's like 11 years old. It's crazy. Uh, yeah.
0: It was really I mean, crazy. like growing up in Oakland, that must like the sort of influence and like shadow of Green Day must be literally everywhere right like is that something it was everywhere
1: it definitely was everywhere especially when you like go to school with his kids because it was just like he was there so everyone would just talk about it constantly i think at every school auction there'd all be always be a guitar that he signed for the auction so it was just like it's pretty good he was inescapable just always there yeah around.
0: i mean also like how do you compete with that like that's almost like an unfair advantage yeah. if you've got exactly. to do like show and tell and someone's mm-hmm. bringing in like here's like this cool you know rock yeah that i found and then it's like hey, my dad's in green day so i brought he's... in my dad so he <laughs> <is>. yeah yeah <laughs> That was the wonderful MXM tune. Thank you, Maya, for coming and having a lovely chat with us. Um, be sure to keep an eye out for the next episode of Before They Knew Better. It is out on Tuesdays as always. If you give us a like and a subscribe, then it'll come straight to your inbox. There is also the November issue of DIY Magazine that is out right now. It has King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard on the cover. It has Sleeta Kinney inside. It's got Idols inside. It's got Jelani Blackman inside and loads of other great people um head to www.diybag.com forward slash shop to purchase that you can also read it online and remember to give us a like subscribe all of that stuff and we'll see you next week this episode is brought to you by Rock in Rio Lisboa, the sister event to Brazil's iconic music festival Rock in Rio. The Portuguese leg of the event is set to celebrate its 20th anniversary with one of its biggest editions yet and over 80,000 attendees across its four days of which some of them could be you. Taking place over two weekends this June, some of music's biggest names will be taking to the stage in Lisbon. We're talking Ed Sheeran, we're talking Doja Cat, even the Jonas Brothers are getting in on the action and with each day specially curated by genre, there's literally something for everyone. I went to the town in Rio last year, which is curated by the same people as Rockin' Rio. And it was, I'm going to say, one of the wildest festivals I've ever been to. This year's Rock Rockin' Rio Lisboa takes place on the 15th, 16th, 21st and 22nd of June. And tickets can be purchased now via their website, Lisboa.pt.